there's grace in the place. Amen. And we're glad that you are here. We're in a series here at Walk Church that is taken right from the book in the Bible, and it's called Galatians. And Galatians is a book in the New Testament. It's six chapters long, and it's written and authored by a man named Paul, known as Paul the Apostle. And Paul is a, he has an incredible testimony, and his story is so uh, impressive and powerful when it comes to the Lord, because Saul was his original name, and Saul was a persecutor of the church, uh, going around uh, persecuting and, and, and even trying to put death threats on individuals who would claim to follow Jesus. And how many of you know that, that Jesus himself can take a persecutor of the church and turn him into a church planter, right? Like God would, 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 would radically move in this rebel's heart named Saul and, and transform his life on the road to Damascus and knock him down and confront him in a loving way in his sin to, to ultimately restore him to an even better calling. And so I just say that up front to say, if you're in here today and you're messy and broken and burdened and sinful, you are in the right place. There is grace in this place and you're the perfect fit and candidate for God to use you to do something great. If you look at Paul's story, you're never too far gone, amen? amen. There's never a, a, a moment where you're too far lost where God, can't, where God would say, I, I'm done with you. No, no, I got more for you. We see that in Paul's life. And so what does he do? Well, he, he goes on this journey of, of witnessing and sharing his faith. And he goes into a city called Galatia, starts making disciples. He appoints elder pastors and he plants this church in Galatia. Along his missionary journey, he hears testimonies of different individuals who began to creep in and make their way into the Galatian church, causing the people to be tempted to believe a different gospel than the one that Paul preached. And the different gospel is no gospel at all. In fact, Paul was very clear on the gospel that he was preaching. I've called it Galatians gospel math. I'll put it up here on the screen. I'm gonna say it to us every single week. Are, are you ready? Here's what it is. It's Jesus plus nothing equals enough. And you're like, yeah, you said that last week and the three weeks before. I'm gonna keep saying it. Because I think we have this thing wired in us where we so badly want to just put something, even if it's just like 1% of us in there. We want to feel accomplished. We want to feel like we earned it. We want to say, yeah, yeah, no, it's Jesus. It's also a little bit of me and my good deeds. It's also, you know, you, what about what I did? What about, I'm a good person. You ever heard somebody say, man, but I'm a good person. Whenever you feel like you have to say, I'm a good person, it's further evidence that you're not a good person, <laughs> all right? I'm just putting you on blast a little bit today in the most loving way because it's true for me too. The gospel that we believe, the gospel that Jesus lived and the gospel that the New Testament records is that Jesus plus none of our help, plus none of our sprinkling of our righteousness could earn us right standing before God or favor with God or in, in could some way pay for the sins of our life, but Jesus can. So we put all of our trust on him. We put all of our weight, all of our hope, all of our confidence. I love the hymn that says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus's blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the, the sweetest frame. I dare not trust me, 
but wholly trust in his name, right? So, so that's the message that Paul brought to the Galatians. Now, what had happened is there were individuals who came down from Jerusalem who were connected to some of the original disciples, Peter, James, John, Paul in Galatians 2 refers to them as the pillars of the church, understandably because they walked with Jesus. In fact, James was the brother of James' mom is Mary. And Peter, right, has these visions in the book of Acts. He has this great restoration moment, John. So that's where the the hub is, the headquarters, if you would, of the Christian faith that's exploding. Well, meanwhile, this guy named Saul, who was a persecutor, changed and transformed by Paul. Come on, God's always doing something more, isn't he? He's down here in Galatia making disciples, planting churches. So some people came down to Galatia from Jerusalem and began to spy. What type of gospel are you preaching, Paul? Paul said, I'm preaching Jesus plus nothing equals enough, even for the Gentiles. Now, what's a Gentile? A Gentile is a non-Jewish individual who has put their faith in Christ. Now, Jesus, the, the, the Jewish Messiah, who died on the cross for not just the sins of the Jews, but come on, John 3, 16, for God so loved the so So Jesus comes down from heaven to die for the sins of the world, which is staggering. And Romans 1, 16 says that the gospel is made accessible to not just the Jew, but also the Gentile. And why that's a good news reminder for everybody in the room today, because I would imagine everybody in this room or those watching online, you, you, not everybody has Jewish heritage in you. So today there's a lot of Gentiles in the room and the gospel's for you. And that's good news for everybody, regardless of background or culture or upbringing. Jesus plus nothing, not even your background. Jesus plus nothing is, is enough. So different individuals came to spy that message out in Galatia and started to add plus signs and say, hold on a second, Paul. You can preach the gospel. It is Jesus, no doubt. Let's not take away from anything Yeshua did, but make sure these people are also circumcised. That's an addition. And Paul said, time out. Why are we adding to the gospel? And then some others will say, well, hey, hold on. He's from Jerusalem. You can't say that, Paul. And Paul goes, since when does geography add to the gospel? And then somebody goes, well, he's homies with Peter. And Paul says, does God show partial treatment to Peter? What makes him different than me? That's where we left it off last week in a sermon that I preached. The gospel shows no favorites. Amen? So these messages have been a little bit uncomfortable, but I hope they're helping shape us in some way and helping us get rooted into the gospel biblically that much more. That's been the prayer of this time. Amen? Today, we're going to pick it up where we last left off in Galatians 2 in another installment of an uncomfortable message. Some of y'all are getting used to this. And here's my request, all right? Because I'm going to read the title to you, and I'm going to ask that you stick with me, all right? I know that this is not going to be the most popular sermon, and when I tell you the title, some of you are going to be tempted to say, I want to get some sweet creations right now and kind of make my way out the back. And I'm just asking you, no judgment, please don't. I pray that this message would be helpful. It's been helpful for me. I believe it will be helpful to you, but I'm giving you the spoiler alert. When I read the title, some of you are going to get uncomfortable and it's designed for that to happen. I'm telling you that up front. Fair enough? All right. Out of Galatians 2, I want to preach a message to you today that I'm titling, we'll put it up here on the screen, Confrontation is Not a Bad Thing. 
Woo! Are y'all still with me? I put one of those like laughing, sweating, weird, awkward, crying emojis. Because you probably are like, oh yeah, maybe. Here's what I know. Along this journey of church planning, our church is almost eight years old now. I've served in other Christian capacities. I've served in other capacities in general. Here's what I've realized. People are terrified of confrontation. We'll do whatever it takes. We'll do gymnastics all around something just to avoid confrontation. All while having something in their heart that they never deal with. You could be 40, 50 years old, still living in a moment that you happened when you were 10 years old. Why? Because you avoided confrontation. There's a, there's a verse in scripture. I read it just a couple days ago and I sent it out to some of uh, my brothers who I walk with. It, it says... It says, as one friend sharpens a friend, so iron sharpens iron. Have you ever heard that? So have you ever seen iron sharpening iron? Right? If not, go to a Golden Knights game. Come on, somebody. Let's go Knights. (laughs) No, no. There's this idea of iron confronting iron. Sparks are flying, and there's this this essence of of conflict and, and, and combat in a way and confronting all for the purpose of making something sharper. Listen to me, Walk Church. This is going to be a little bit offensive, but I mean it in the most loving way. Some of you lack sharpness because you avoid confrontation. It's the thing that God wants to use to make you sharper. You might be one of those like plastic butter knives that you get at like a fast food spot. You go to cut something and it breaks and you're frustrated. That could be where some of you are. Why? Because you've avoided the work of confrontation biblically that God wanted to do to use in your life to make you the sharpest leader you could be. If you avoid confrontation, what happens is you rob yourself of growth and you rob the person that you're you're upset with or bitter with or struggling. They might not even know. And so Jesus calls us to live out the model of biblical confrontation. It's not a bad thing. Compromise is a bad thing confrontation is not a bad thing. How we go about it, God gives us instruction on how to. And it's important that we try to model that. But Jesus gives us this model with his own life, doesn't he? Why I encourage you with that word is because when, when we say the word walk, we're walking in Christ. In other words, the same life Jesus lived then, he's walking out now through us. And can I just tell you, Jesus was a master at conflict. He was a professional confronter. Some of y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. Jesus confronted the demons in Mark chapter five and told them to get out. But then shortly after that, Jesus confronts the disciples for their lack of faith. Jesus confronts the Pharisees in Matthew 23 and calls them hypocrites right to their face. Jesus confronted Peter in his deception and said, get behind me, Satan, and confronts his close disciple. Jesus confronted James and John's mom for arguing who could sit next to Jesus in heaven. Jesus confronted Saul in his pridefulness on the road, as we just mentioned, knocks him down and says, why are you persecuting me? All because Jesus had a greater plan for Paul's life. 
Jesus confronted Thomas in his doubt. Jesus confronted those in the temple trying to make a mockery of the temple by deceiving and robbing and taking people's money for sacrifice. Jesus starts to flip over tables in his confrontation. Jesus even confronted a tree. Come on. Jesus walked up to a tree. It says he was hungry. He went to grab a fig. It had no figs. And he said, you know what, tree, you're done. (laughs) Jesus fired the tree. He said, you got one job. It said the tree withered up. (laughs) And Jesus used it as an example on, we should be producing fruit, right? But Jesus Jesus confronted the wind. He confronted the waves. Jesus was not a stranger to confrontation. Why are we? As his hands, as his feet, as his body. If you choose to follow Jesus for any amount of time, I just want to tell you, confrontation is around the corner. And here's the reality. It's not a bad thing. It's an opportunity to work on your faith. It's an opportunity for you to grow. It's an opportunity. Hey, I've had a lot of confrontation moments over the journey. Some I've, led the be- be- some I've led well in, some I've learned well in and could have led better in. And, and, and here's what I've learned. Whenever I have a confrontation moment, you know what I tend to do? Pray, go to the word, seek the Lord's help. Maybe even fast a little bit. What is confront? If you avoid confrontation, you avoid all of the opportunity that was inviting you to know God and invite him into. And so today, this is my intro. The confrontation is not a bad thing. In fact, watch this. Confrontation is a biblical thing. And if you're avoiding confrontation at all costs, you're avoiding what the scriptures are actually calling you to do. We see an example here. In Galatians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul uses a story in his own testimony of biblical confrontation. So let me go ahead and pray, and we'll, we'll read it, okay? If you're ready, say ready. ready. If you're hungry, say let's eat. let's eat. Father, as we get ready to eat from Galatians 2, Holy Spirit, we ask you now for those online and those in the room, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Come on, just pray with me right now. Just say, Lord, speak to me. Help me to hear your voice for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Galatians 2, starting in verse 11. If you're there, say, I'm there. If you need a Bible, put your hand in the air. We'll walk you one down. If you just in case you need a Bible. Galatians 2, verse 11. It says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Come on, everybody go, oh. <gasps> Whoa, no way, dude, it happened. Now, who's Cephas? Cephas is Peter, the great disciple Peter. When he came to Antioch, where the apostle Paul was and Barnabas, they were doing a lot of great ministry at the time there. Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, 
so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, Paul says the way that they were acting, their behavior was out of step with the gospel truth. He says, I said to Cephas before them all, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And Paul shares with us this story and testimony of his rebuke to St. Peter. And what an interesting and powerful moment we get to peek in on and learn from here today, church. Confrontation is not a bad thing. Jesus modeled it. And here we see the apostle Paul model it with Peter in Galatians. Now, what, what just happened, right? Last week I preached a sermon. You can check it out at walkchurch.com or our YouTube channel uh, called The Gospel Has No Favorites, right? And this is Paul talking about how people are making their way into the Galatian church, trying to distort the good news gospel. Jesus plus nothing equals enough. They're trying to tempt people to add to their gospel. They're trying to say, hey, you, yeah, you can believe in Jesus. Just make sure you do kosher laws, Just make sure you wear your hair a certain way. Just make sure you observe the Sabbath a certain way. Just make sure you are circumcised for the men in the room. Just make sure that you are doing, and all of a sudden, Paul goes, gee, well, what happened to the the free gospel? All of a sudden, now I got a checklist. This is no different than the law. And Paul is under the reality that Jesus has saved people from being bound by the law. Not that the law is a bad thing. But Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. We see this in Romans chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. Look at this scripture of Romans 8, if we can put it up here on the screen. It says, the law of the capital S spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Because nobody was fulfilling the law like they were supposed to. So God does what the law could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So Jesus fulfills the law through his life, death, resurrection, ascension into heaven. Jesus did it all. He paid it all. So that's why we continue to lean, not just heavily, but with everything upon him and his work. Amen. This is what we believe. So if somebody tries to come up and walk church and try to hit you with some self-righteous crap, I said that word. I said it. If you get offended, check your own self-righteousness. If somebody tries to do that and say, hey, yeah, but you know, you shouldn't be, you know, yeah, there's a, there's accountability. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be accountable. We're accountable to the word. We should be accountable. But if somebody tries to add to the gospel, Jesus plus, You have full authority to confront them, as Paul does Peter here. We see Paul, in the most loving way, challenge Peter to his face on where he stood when it came to the gospel. I want you to just try to imagine this for a moment. Let me go ahead and set the the stage, the setting for this. God was at work in Antioch. Now, Antioch is a city a lot like Las Vegas, filled with a lot of culture, a lot of diversity, a lot of people groups, a lot of ethnicity, a lot of different individuals from different backgrounds and spaces are in Antioch. Paul makes his way to Antioch and he starts to witness to people. 
he starts to make disciples. Him and Barnabas end up setting some roots in Antioch, and there's a mini revival that breaks out in Antioch. We can read about it in the teen chapters of the book of Acts. One of my favorite verses is Acts 13, verse number one. Look at this verse with me. I think it's a special verse. It's an underrated verse. Are you ready? Acts 13, verse one. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, now who's Barnabas? Remember, Barnabas is the mentor, kind of older brother leader who encouraged Paul when he first got saved. Barnabas took Paul under his wing and began to invest in his life. Praise God for the encouragers like Barnabas, amen? Right? Now, Simeon, who was called Niger. Now, I love the details here because Niger is translated to the English phrase, a black man. So here we see ethnicity valued in the text. So we see Barnabas, this older, wiser, encouraging Jewish man. You see Simeon, this black man who's part of the church family. You see Lucius of Cyrene. Now who's Lucius? Lucius is this likely Gentile. We don't know a ton about him. We know that he's of Cyrene, which means that he would likely not have a Jewish background. So here's this Gentile individual, Simeon, who's of a different race or ethnicity, Barnabas, who's this older Jewish man, now Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. This blows my mind, church. You got somebody who was in Herod's kindergarten class hanging around with the disciples in Antioch. I wonder that, like, yo, you really know Herod, the, 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 the maniac leader who's killing everybody? And Manian's like, yeah, we played on the same AAU basketball team. <laughs> like, what? Like, yeah, Herod was a cool dude before he went crazy. Like, I mean, like, I don't know what Herod's background was, but this guy does. He was a lifelong friend and came to know Christ in Antioch. This Bible study is dope. And to top it all off, Saul before he's Paul, who recently became a believer and is now on fire for Jesus. What a group, amen? This charge group is charged up, and it looks very diverse, ethnically, culturally, socially, who's friends with who, and here's the thing that drew them all together. It was Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who does not show partiality or favoritism because of none of these things are plus signs. This is giving us context into what the church looked like which I believe holds value and dignity. These details are good to hear. They don't add to your gospel. It's just interesting context. That's what's happening in Antioch. So what happens? Peter, the disciple, is back in Jerusalem holding it down with the the New Testament church that Jesus told him to be a leader within. And Peter hears a report. Yo, Peter, stuff is happening in Antioch. You got to come see this stuff. It's a multicultural church. The gospel spreading to even Herod's homie got saved. And I wonder if Peter was like, I'm going to come check that out. So I don't know what vehicle they used to get to Antioch, but somehow they made their way down there. And Peter, the disciple, begins to hang out with the crew. The scripture tells us that Peter is now eating and having fellowship with the different individuals in the Antioch church. And what a beautiful sight it is. But what happens next, I think, is very interesting 
content that Paul brings us into in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Let's look at it on the screen. Galatians 2, 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, he's checking out the activity. Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. He was in the wrong. What did he do wrong? Well, before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Now, I do want to provide some context of why that's such an important verse. Here's why. Because Gentiles and Jews did not eat together. This was a, a form of segregation in the Bible that was out of step with the gospel. So Jews and Gentiles were stay, staying on opposed sides, but I, I do want to just say there is some helpful thought on this activity because people didn't eat how, you know, if, if me and you go to Chipotle after church today, you know, let's say you order a burrito. Let's say somebody orders a bowl. Let's say somebody orders a quesadilla and, you know, you're like, hey, I'm going to get a guac, but I ain't trying to share with you. Get your own guac. Come on, right? I don't know how you do, but we ain't doing the double dipping. Amen? Oh, y'all don't know what I'm talking about? Okay. So, you, you, you know, you eat and you get your own meal. Now, likely in this day, let's just say it was, let's just say we went through the Chipotle line and Peter's like, hey, I'll get, let's just all just get a big bowl and we'll all eat from the same bowl. Let's put your hand in there, Gentile. Grab some of that. In fact, mush it up a little bit. <laughs> And, and what was happening, Jews would be like, I ain't eating that. That's, that's super double dipped, <laughs> right? And, and Gentiles were like, I'm not eating your food either. And so there, there was a different direction. Here it says that Peter is sitting with the Gentiles eating from the same hummus bowl. Putting his, Peter's putting his hand there. He's joking. He's talking. He's fellowshipping. And then I feel like this is like a bum, bum, bum. It says that the friends of James came down and they noticed Peter sitting there with the Gentiles. And what does Peter do? Well, here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't stand on the gospel that saved the whole table. He very delicately gets up and begins to act like he doesn't know them and separates them himself and is like, oh yeah, what's up guys? as if this was a middle school cafeteria. And this is a middle school cafeteria. Come on, praise the Lord, right? Shout out. And, and, and Peter's all of a sudden, you know, it's interesting. Walk Church, I, I heard this phrase recently. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. New levels, new devils, right? As you grow in your faith, the devil will try to trip you up that much more. I just told an individual who got baptized recently, I said, man, prepare for the battle. And he's like, dude, I'm already in it. And, and, and new, new levels, new levels. But I recently heard this phrase that, that spoke to me uh, from a pastor named uh, Rich Wilkerson Jr. He said it like this. He said, new, new levels, same devils. In other words, it's the same things that tripped you up then will try to trip you up later. Yeah, yeah. Even if you think you had victory, be careful that you don't fall back into the same things that, that this, they, they know you. They know your insecurities. They know your sin patterns. They know what trips you up. You know what, you know what trips Peter up? confrontation. Let me just go ahead and rewind several years back before this where, where Peter, on the night Jesus was betrayed, on the night where he's taken to the cross, where he's getting ready to go to the cross, where he's betrayed, Peter's there. And this little girl says, I know you. You're the one who follows that Jesus. 
And what does Peter do? I don't want confrontation. I don't know him. And she goes, no, that is you. It's totally you. And he goes, I promise you, I swear, I have no idea who that is. Well, what could make Peter do that? You know what I believe it is? It's the fear of man. And I want to encourage you today, Walk Church, those online, listen to me. If you're going to really follow Jesus in an authentic way, you got to get rid of the fear of man. You have to let go of the fear. of. Let me give you Galatians 2 verse 12 in the NLT, NLT translation. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. Deep context. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Peter says, I'll do whatever it takes as long as I don't get criticized. I'm afraid of confrontation. Let me give you a definition of confrontation. I'll put it up here on the screen. We're we're wrapping up. It's the act of confronting. It's the state of being confronted. Uh, A meeting of persons face-to-face, an open conflict of opposing ideas or forces. Friend, please don't get so fearful of this that you start to fear people more than you fear God. Look, look, look. I, I, I want you to have the fear of him over the fear of even people's criticisms, opinions, struggle. It's how we get sharper. It's the act of confronting. So I looked up the word confront. What does it mean to uh, confront somebody? If we can put that up on the screen, it means to face up to and deal with. Woo! Deal with a problem. Deal with a situation. Somebody say deal with it. Come on, somebody say deal with it. Present itself to someone so that dealing with it cannot be avoided. Friend, you can't keep avoiding it. You can go to a different church, but you're not avoiding it. God wants you to be free. God wants you to walk in peace. God wants you to be healed. God wants you to walk in his grace, in his his healing, his his full focus. It's going to be hard for you to do that if you never confront whatever needs to be confronted. Paul knew, I'll never be right with Peter like I need to be unless I oppose him in this matter. Here's what Paul didn't do. I'm just going to make a little mental note and I'm going to have bitterness in my heart toward Peter for the rest of my life. And I'll never invite him again. That would have been bogus. And so often that happens in Christianity. We get offended. We get hurt. We get challenged. We see something we don't like. And what do we do? We say, hey, I, don't, I, I love that person, so I just won't bring it up. Can I tell you? That is unloving. Right. Amen. He, hear me, Walkers. It's not the loving thing to do. The loving thing to do is to bring it up. Yeah. Let me give you a verse. Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 28, verse four, it says, better is an open rebuke. I'm sorry, Proverbs 27, verse five and six. It says, better, come on, read it off the screen with me. Help me, please. Come on, come on, church. Ready, set, go. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. I'll pause. Some of you are hiding your love, thinking that it's the right thing, it's the wrong thing. I'm just gonna hide my love and not cause any, everybody, keep the peace. No problems, no problems, right? You're the problem. 
It's better to openly rebuke somebody than hide your love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Evaluate your friendships by whether or not you ever have confrontation. If you have friendships that never have any confrontation, that's called fake. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Watch out for the people that are so overly affectionate to you. Those are the ones that are probably talking behind your back. Even Judas came and gave Jesus a kiss right before he denied him, betrayed him. Look out for the ones who are authentic with you, real with you. The one that says, hey, you need a breath mint. Come on. That's a real one. The one that says, hey, the way you went about that, sometimes what I've realized is people don't know that they're wrong unless they're confronted. You could actually be helping somebody grow in their faith if you have the conversation. Peter needed to check his fear of man. What he was doing was he was, he was working against the gospel that saved him by separating himself from the Gentile believers as if that was in some way adding to his righteousness. Beware of legalism, church. I want to give you that phrase here today before we close. Beware of the spirit of legalism that tries to jump on people in the church and says, hey, you got you to make sure you do this. I mean, I've, I've been to so many different Christian settings where I'm like, man, y'all are, y'all are Christian with a law on it. And Paul would come up here and oppose a lot of y'all because you're making it with a have to. Listen, there's a difference between preference and principle. You could have a preference that something should be some type of way. That, that's fine. But don't elevate your preferences to the scriptures. Don't put them on the, the level of the gospel. What Jesus did, this is what was happening with Peter. Paul said, I'm not going to be a people pleaser. Right? If we just go back one chapter into Galatians 1 verse 10. Go, oh, come on, look at, are we, are we still there? Galatians 1 verse 10. Let's look at it on the screen. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. If you're going to try to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and avoid conflict, it'll never happen. You'll serve Jesus for a couple days and then you'll tap out. Conflict's part of the journey, but it's not a bad thing. It's, if you see it, it can actually be a good thing because it's giving you an opportunity to be like Christ. Let me give you, can I give you one more verse? Let me give you one more verse. Ooh, I want to keep going. Luke chapter 17. Jesus gives instruction in Luke 17 about this topic. Let's look at it on the screen. Luke chapter 17, Jesus says, pay attention to, come on, help me read it, read it, read it. Pay attention to yourselves. One more time. Pay attention to yourself. I love the exclamation point. Jesus is like, focus on yourself. Get better. Work on yourself. Work on your faith. Get back in the word. Work, pay attention to yourselves. Look, if your brother sins, rebuke him. <laughs> One more. <sighs> it's in there. If your life never has any rebuking, ask yourself if you're even a Christian. If you, if you never rebuke somebody or never rebuked, maybe you're just too perfect. You're not. Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. It's not a bad thing. It's a loving thing. 
Now, it doesn't say you need to take your Bible and like, bang! That's not how you rebuke somebody. Because the same scriptures that surround it, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, respect one another, is all in the context. But if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. That's equally what we got to do a better job of. Church, we do a lot of fake forgiveness. Here's what we do. We say, oh, I forgive you. I'll just treat you differently for the rest of your life. I'm glad Jesus doesn't forgive the way we forgive. Amen. I'll forgive you. But if you do something again, I'll pull your file back out. Jesus says we don't hold a record of wrongs because Jesus doesn't hold our record of wrongs. Oh, my goodness. If, if Look, we're, we're missing opportunities to actually forgive people because we never want to confront people. Rebuke him. If he repents, in, in other words, if he turns away from it, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, whew, turn to him seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. I love that response. Amen. I'm like, yeah, I'm standing with the apostles. Lord, I don't know if I got enough faith to do that. Two things that the fear of man does, and I'm done. Two things. Number one, the fear of man creates a trap. The fear of man will trip you up. The fear of man, the, the proverb says, lays a snare. It, it, it grips a hold of you and it causes you to stumble. You don't need to fear of man. But also the fear of man is contagious. The fear of man actually will jump on the people around you and cause them to stumble too. I mean, look at Peter's life here in Galatians uh, uh, 2 verse 13. It says, the, the rest of the Jews were right here. The rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas, Paul's mentor, Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Paul's in the background watching this happen. No. Peter's eating, breaking bread, fellowshipping, eating hummus, talking about the golden nights, enjoying a time together with the Gentiles. And all of a sudden, this party from Jerusalem comes in and tries to intimidate. And Peter gets up and goes, I don't even know them. I don't even know. I don't. Just like he did to the little girl. And guess what? Barnabas goes, well, if Peter's getting up, I'm getting up. And Paul goes, all of y'all are hypocrites. And, and Paul said that was the most loving thing for, for them to hear. The fear of man is contagious. You'll lead other people astray if you avoid biblical confrontation. Charles Spurgeon, he talks about hypocrisy in this way. He, he says it in this quote. I'll put it up here on the screen. He says, periodical godliness is perpetual hypocrisy. If you pick and choose, oh, I'm going to live it here, but I'm not going to live it here. That's acting, the word hypocrite is, is what you would call somebody who's, a, who's an actor. Two-faced. And Jesus wants us to have his face, his posture, his life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Come on. I, Lord, I just want to uh, pray right now in Jesus' name. I thank you for this word. God, I, I know I needed it, and I know that it's uncomfortable. But God, I pray for a healthy biblical confrontation to take place in our church and in the churches all over the place. And that people would respond with humility, respond with an openness, respond with a forgiveness, res respond with faith, and respond with, I need you, Jesus. I need you so bad. And praise God, I have you. 
Today, if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to invite you to get to know him. Right now, you can call on his name. Just say, Lord, I'm ready. I believe in you, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for confronting me. And thank you for loving me. And thank you for saving me. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose for me. I believe you're for me, not against me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And Lord, I I just want to pray one more prayer. God, for those in the room today that know they struggle with confrontation, or for those who are too eager for confrontation and need to, to dial it down, God, help us to have your spirit lead us. Help us to fear you even more than we fear man. We need you, Jesus. Help us. Walk with us along the way. Guide us. Take our hand and gently walk us through as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. So good.